Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. The only podcast where two brothers talk about a thing they love. And that thing is comic books. I'm one of your hosts uh, slash kind of comedians, Kevin Hines. I'm your other host, kind of comedian and brother, Will Hines. Yeah, Will. Uh, we talk about comics that we either grew up loving mm-hmm. or Learned have a fondness love. for or, yeah. Um, begrudgingly accept. Comics that we like to talk about. Yeah. Um, right now we are in between seasons. So that means we are doing our mutants and mailbags episodes. This is mm-hmm. where we cover episodes, uh, uh, issues of Chris Claremont's classic X-Men comics, as well as answer emails from our listeners yeah. who've uh, emailed us. I can't wait, Kevin. We're deep into this. We've read a ton of X-Men at this point. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty much the biggest X-Men fans (laughs) that waited far too long to read it. We have read a lot of X-Men, like, you know, from giant size, you know, whatever it was, X-Men number one, and and then X-Men 94 through whatever number that was, where it starts through, we're up to 180 today. Like that's, (laughs) that's a lot. Today we're covering issues 174 to 180. We've gone through... Or no, 177, 177, 178, 179, Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I have 174 open in front of me, but you're right. right. 177 to 180. Um, we've gone through three, four major artists. Cockrum, Byrne, Smith, Cockrum again, John Romita uh, Jr. Not yeah. in that order. Yep, and, a, and some fill-ins here and there. And some fill-ins, of course. So we're beginning, we've begun the John Romita Jr. era, which is going to take us through Secret Wars and into some crossovers. Uh, Who knows how long we'll keep doing this? I'm still enjoying them. So let me check in with you now. Now that you're an X-Men expert, Mm -hmm. what is your take on the X-Men? And how do they rank in terms of your favorite Marvel properties? I mean, I don't know what their powers are. I feel like uh, (laughs) it hasn't really been established yet. So um, (laughs) I still... I don't think it has changed much. I think part of that is just because of when I'm reading them. Like, I think these are really good comics, but you have that imprintable age where like when you meet characters for the first time and they kind of knock you, uh, knock your socks off and kind of excite you. And and these characters just, because I'm a 47 year old man reading these for the first time. Yeah. You're not as impressionable or, or whatever. Like, uh, to paraphrase Stephen King and Stand By Me, do you ever uh, love superheroes as much as you do when you're 12? Yeah. Uh, and so as much as like I might read a character now and be like, oh, I've never read this character before. This is amazing. Or find a comic that I really love now. It's tough for a character to like, like become so ingrained in me that I'm like, I'll read this character. Totally. I'll always be checking in on this character. Like. I'm trying to think of an example of like a character that I've discovered like later on become a fan of like Thor. Jason okay. Aaron did a great run on Thor. I really enjoyed it. But do I think of myself as a huge Thor fan, even though I think that run was incredible, even though I Walt Simonson's run was so incredible. No, because I read Walt Simonson's run when I was 30, like that run stands out to me, but I don't know if the character matters as much to me. It's not as much as like John Burns FF, which is like imprinted. Yeah. In you. Right. Uh, um, or just Spider-Man in general, because I read so much of him so early. Yeah. I feel like the last character to really like sink his teeth into me where I'm like, oh, I love this character was probably the Flash. Right. I feel like I didn't start reading the Flash 
regularly until the CBS TV show. Okay. Um, which would have been like the 90s. I feel like 1990 was around when that show was out. Yeah. I refuse to check because our podcast, yeah. what people love about it is that we don't know what we're talking about. Because I read those comics and I really love them. And he's a character that I will, even if it's Barry Allen or Wally West, I'll just kind of like peek in every now and then and be like, oh, do I like this comic? Nope. And then I'll move on or, yep, I'll read it for a while, um, which is what I do with Spider-Man, which is what I do with FF. There's certain characters that I'm just like always like a little part of me that's like, I wonder, I wonder how my old friends are doing. Are they, are they in, if I'm not collecting them actively, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on them. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's true for the X-Men for me. Um, and I, and I, yeah, and, and I can't imagine it will be if I've already read through like a couple of the biggest Claremont stories ever. And I don't feel that way now. I do feel, I wonder if you feel this way too. Like I, I feel a little bit, I feel less left out than I used to. Cause I would hear people rave about the Claremont X-Men and talk about the X-Men and, it wasn't like I ever questioned that, but I just kind of wondered. I wonder what's going on there. It's like if your friends go to Disney World and you haven't gone, you're you have some idea of what it's like. But you're like, oh, I wonder what it's like to to go there. Now, now we sort of know what it's like to go to X Men. It's it's also interesting because there's such a huge part of the Marvel universe. I knew like big picture stuff. Like I knew who was on the team, yeah. um, and I even knew things that like Rogue wasn't always on the team, or that like yeah. Um, that, and the X Men did. Jean Grey died. Mm -hmm. uh, and the X Men and, show up in other titles in very significant yeah. ways. So yeah, we're not total strangers to the characters. Or that Storm like changed her look, and I also know like Storm loses her powers at some point. I didn't know that. Um, and I just know that's a thing about her that she loses her powers and stays leader of the X Men for a while. And I know that about her. I've never read that story, and I know that's an important thing to the people who've read it. Now, and like when we get to that, I'll be like, oh, yeah, now I've seen that moment. I, I understand what you mean. Now, here's a question I don't want you to answer, but I'm going right. to want you to answer it in the future. So I'm going to ask you now and you can like you could answer, of course, but I'm going to mm -hmm. I really like the Kevin Hines hot takes on things. And so I was almost thinking if we ever go back to having segments, remember when we used to have like tons of segments in this podcast? Yeah, yeah. I like, do. We should have and a it, hot take segment where like no matter what we're reading that episode, we have to have a hot take on it. Um, yeah. And I think that, and I, and I think you're good at that. So at some point I want your hot take on the Claremont X-Men. I mean, I don't, you're often the one who deems something a hot take or not. Like you certainly treated my dislike of the brood saga as a hot, hot take. take. Um, and I still don't know whether that is or is not. Uh, some people have emailed us to say they dislike that run. Yeah. Some people have emailed to say they love that run. So it's, so it's hard to say. Uh, it at least seems like it's not like I was saying Days of Future Past is bad. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, though I was, I think, less wowed by that than I expected to be. But again, I think some of that is just it's, it's so hyped. I mean, it's almost impossible yeah. to live up to the hype. Yeah, I think it's it's just so tough. I'm weirdly like more impressed by like the smaller stories. Like I was like just more into this silly Phoenix story we covered last time where, um, you know, Mastermind made it seem like Phoenix was around. Yes. Um, Some of that right? might that be was last that time, right? Yes, that's, that's correct. Time. Yeah, it's a that's a simple sort of relatively contained story. I think it was two issues. Yeah, uh, and it was just like, oh, that was a fun story, and I had never heard about it, knew nothing about it, and so it was just like it was kind of all discovery and fun, and getting to see how these characters go through their paces was fun for me. 
Um, I'll come up with a hot take too at some point, but we don't have them right now. We're just going to, we're just going to talk about these issues. So what do you think of these four issues? Will Hines, you hated the last four. I think I was just exhausted. The you last hated time we them. You the hated podcast. them. I was a little, uh, I was a little annoyed with the X-Men last time. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I could blame the comics. Sometimes if you're in the wrong mood and just like comic books in general can be like annoying. Like, um, I, uh, I really, that could have also these. been what happened to me with the brood. Like it could have just been like, you're just in a mood or whatever. Yeah. Um, the brood did go on for a while. I, I really enjoyed these. I thought these were fun. We had a, we have a, there's a lot of kitty pride in these issues and I really like kitty pride. Uh, I, so I think fun. it also helps me how much I uh, not to interrupt you, which I'm doing, yeah. but I am going to continue interrupting sure. you is like how like did I give myself time to read these issues or did I like race to read them right before we recorded? That also affects me greatly. Yeah. And has nothing to do with the quality of the comic. Like I read these comics a couple of days ago yeah. and I was like, oh, I, I have days to read these. And it, yeah. so I just enjoyed them more because of that. I read these right before we recorded. Yeah. And I hated them. No, I, I like the Kitty Pride. Um, there's kind of a good balance between like stuff happening and like anguished conversations. I thought there was a good balance of that. Mm-hmm. That's fun to see John Romita Jr.'s art. It's also fun to see how different it looks with different inkers, including his own his own dad inks him in the first issue that we're going to yeah. cover, which is wild. Um, and his own dad makes it look like his art. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, like, it very much looks like John Romita Sr. Um, that's so it's kind of interesting to see the the art. Um, and we end the end of these four issues ends with them going off to the secret wars, which like also really places these comics in my own emotional memory of when they happened in Marvel history, because we were reading comics at the time of the secret wars. Yeah. Basically this gets us up to where like, I could have been reading these. Yeah. We're we're like walking into the comic shop while these issues are on the stands. Yeah, uh, for me, for sure, because like I basically did not buy a comic until uh, a little bit after Secret Wars, but I was definitely reading your comics uh, as you got them, as opposed to just sort of like every now and then. Yeah. Uh, I really love John Romita Jr.'s art. Um, I, I like him. Here's a hot take. I like him more than John Romita Sr. Okay. Um, defend that. Pretend I care I, and defend I, that. I can't defend it. I uh, I think John Romita Sr.'s art, because it was so much like the model sheets for Marvel comics and for like Marvel t-shirts and Marvel thermoses, yeah. it seems almost uh, fake. Like it okay. almost feels like, oh, this is a coloring book drawing of Spider-Man and not right. a comic book version of Spider-Man because like everything was based on John Romita Sr. Where John Romita Jr. has his own little bit of style especially as he gets into these issues, like it was basically just starting to, he was basically just starting to break out from his father's mold at the end of his amazing Spider-Man run. And you can see it here. He's getting blockier. Uh, and now he's just like a completely different artist in his current stuff. And I yeah. like all eras of John Romita Jr. But I also just love that you can see his art change a lot. Well, John Romita Sr.'s art just seemed like it came out of the box. I mean, he'd been doing comics forever, but sure. in my eyes, like, from Amazing Spider, his first issue of Amazing Spider-Man to the last thing I saw him draw, it's John Romita Senior, baby. <laughs> like he's lo- yeah, he's locked into his yeah his format. But this looks nothing like the John Romita Junior who drew Kick-Ass or Thor under Dan Jurgens or the recent Superman stuff. It like, but it's also this doesn't look anything like the John Romita Junior who drew Amazing Spider-Man with Roger Stern. So, uh, I think it's just I I kind of like it. I like the style of it. 
So should I'm we, excited to have him as an artist. Should we get into these issues? Mm, yeah, let's do it. Okay, 177, high level. This is, um, the first half of it is Mystique takes on the X-Men, but we find out that she's really taking on robots in Arcade's murder world as training. Yeah. And that's a significant part of this issue. Yeah, it's probably too long because you know it's not real when she kills like two X-Men pretty quickly. Yeah. She kills Wolverine very fast and kills Kitty Pride. And you're like, well, I mean, you can always undo these things, but I assume there's some, this is a fake out happening here. And then the they don't reveal that for a long time. For a while, but you kind of know that something that something's up. Then the second half is Mystique and the Brotherhood do a real attack on the X-Men. And the goal is that Mystique wants Rogue back because she raised Rogue. Um, and she's a mother figure. It's said many times in the issue, she considers herself Rogue's mother. And so they really do attack the X-Men. And the cliffhanger ending is that they um they petrify Colossus. They like superheat him to an almost melting level and then liquid nitrogen him. Something it ends up that he's turned to stone basically. And it's, yeah. he might even be dead. Uh, and, that, and that's where the issue ends. Right. I mean, he should be dead. It's from what they describe. It doesn't sound like you should be alive. I don't care what his powers are. It doesn't make sense that he would live through this. I mean, I'm glad he does. I like Colossus. Me too. It'd be a lame way for him to die. Um, but he should be dead. There's also a little bit of arcade in this because arcade supervided the training robots. Yeah, there's there's some arcade in this, and there's also just a fair amount of like checking in with all of our characters. Uh, like there's a little bit of table setting going on where we see like Corsair and the Star Jammers leave, and we see uh, Wolf um, <laughs> Nightcrawler. Oh no! It's still happening. <laughs> I caught it though. I caught it. <laughs> Nightcrawler, I can't believe, I don't know what's gone on with me. Is there a real specific form of like a mental block where like, uh, where <laughs> Nightcrawler is on a date with his girlfriend? We, we spent some time with Nightcrawler. We haven't yeah. really done that in a, in a little bit. And and Kitty and is talking about her distrust of Storm. She talks with her dance teacher, Stevie Nelson, about how she does, Storm has changed and it upsets Kitty, right? So we kind of check in on those things. Yes, that's right. One thing that's fun, Kevin, is uh, when when John Romita Jr. draws Colossus and then uh, in his human form, and yeah. it's inked by John Romita Sr. Looks like Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah, it looks like Peter Parker a lot. I mean, he's obviously in the wide touch, he's a little bigger and wider. Yeah, but it looks like Peter Parker's just bulked up. I'm waiting for him to go to the coffee bean and hang out with Gwen Stacy. Like it's a real '60s Peter Parker look. Especially the one where he's like looking up at the building as it explodes. Oh yeah. I mean, um, I, it, I did a double take when I got to that page. Yeah, I had a moment where I, I, I was his like, hair oh, color is Peter different. His hair color is different and he's bulkier and he's yeah. not Peter Parker. But there's a moment where I'm like, oh, did he like sneak Peter Parker into the story? Because it's who he's known for. And it's like, oh, no, it's Colossus. Um, in the in the interest of sort of what, what do you think of this issue overall? Fun, bad? Is it on, on a scale of brood? to Wolverine and Rogue take out the samurai. How good is this issue? Uh, I mean, if that's the scale, I'd say it's pretty close to Wolverine and Rogue take out the samurai. So it's a Um, a good issue. But uh, it's a good action. It's a good fighting. Probably the Wolverine Rogue issue is probably like 75% peak Claremont, right? Like, because you've got issues like Wolverine alone against the Hellfire Club and... Yeah. um, 
things like that. So like that might be like peak. Okay. Claremont. So, um, but I think there's like a solid 75% Claremont effort. I do think the John Romita art hurts it. It's, it feels dated weirdly, even though the this is G- John Romita senior ink. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. The, the John Romita senior art style dates this in a weird way because this is obviously a 20, 20 some year old comic, 30 years, 40 years, 30. It's eighties. Uh, yeah. Or it's like 83 probably. Yeah. So, okay. It's like 30 years old comic and Ramita's art is probably like only 20 years older than that. Like it's 40, it's 40 years. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, my point is like, this is closer to John Ramita seniors prime than it is to now. Yeah. Yeah. So it shouldn't feel dated, but because it's coming off of like Byrne and Cockrum and Paul Smith, who are such modern artists. Yeah. It feels a little dated and a little stiff and a little retro. It feels like it's a flashback story. Right. Um, so that hurts it a little bit. Um, and I also think that that opening sequence is just too long. It's a fun fight, but it's just way too long for a fight that you know is fake. Uh, I agree. Uh, Claremont has weird pacing issues. Like he, he just, he's really the, the, one of the strengths and weaknesses of him. And he's, he's, he kind of is chaotic. He'll chase something for a while. And then when you're, when he's done, you're like, we spent all the time just for that. We also don't know how much of the pacing is John Romita Jr., right? Like if it's Marvel method, it might be John Romita Jr. getting a feel for working with Claremont. I don't know how much Marvel method is going on here. Uh, um, but yeah, it, it, there's the, the table setting stuff in the middle is probably the juiciest stuff. And there's like only like really three pages of that. Right. After the fake fight and before the real fight. Yeah. Kevin, I have a radical thing. I think we should move on to the next issue. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to go on to 178. Oh, uh, by the way, we're going um, in, we're going in sequential order. Yeah. I thought rather than alphabetical by numeral, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one, who's the artist here? So John Romita Jr. is still the artist. Who does the yeah. inks? Bob Wysick and Brett Breeding. Yeah, so it's a very different look. This looks way more like kind of emotive and abstract and sort of sketchier. I don't mm-hmm. mind it. It's kind of more emotional to my eyes, but it's like so radically different than the previous issue. I would think it was a different artist. Yeah, it's, it's a little Frank Millery, uh, like Dark Knight's Frank Millery, I would say. Yeah, it's like a little flat little Claus Jansen. Um, and kind of uh, angular, but also kind of simple and bold. I would say this looks more modern. Yes. I mean, I like this art more. This is more exciting to me. This is more interesting to me. Um, I, I think it's a little inconsistent. That might be from two inkers. Like that splash page, I think, is really cool with Kitty crying over the uh, petrified. petrified colossus yeah then the really... next few pages aren't as strong and then like it gets good again by the second half some of the pages look a little unfinished or rushed or something yeah when, I think... and that could be the inkers rushing and here's some this is what people tune in for this sort of unverified facts that i'm going to share <laughs> okay when claire when uh when john Mita jr first came over to this title i think it this was not his only title Okay. He was still, he was doing two books a month at this time. I think he was still doing Amazing Spider-Man. And then when Roger Stern left Amazing Spider-Man, he's like, I'm just going to do just X-Men for a little bit, put a little more time into it. Okay. Now the other thing uh, that's, I wonder why that, you know, they, they must, I think this is also when, by the time Shooter, you know, Shooter had been editor and Shooter now for a while, I think they're getting paid. Like the sales of the issues affect how much money the creators get. 
And so if he's moved to the top selling title, he might be yeah. like, I don't, I'd rather just like put all my but effort he, into this. And But he's also leaving like a probably pretty close to the top oh, selling that's title. Right. He's it's not, God, he was doing Spider-Man and X-Men. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, so for a little while he was probably making bank. Um, if that's even true, what I just said, I if, don't 100% know that's even true. You definitely got paid extra. And I don't know when that kicked in because like I know Alpha Flight, John Byrne made more money on Alpha Flight, number one, than he did on a lot of his other comics. Like for, definitely wasn't true for the original Burn Claremont X-Men comics. Okay, yeah. At some point, it became a thing where it's like, if it sells over a threshold, you get more money. Okay, yeah. And so um, Alpha Flight 1 just sold a lot. And so like Burn like really made a lot. And then the sales just dropped a lot and he wasn't making as much on it. So I'm going to try to summarize this issue high level, Kevin. Great. So basically there's from, okay, gosh, I read these so fast, but there's kind of two threads. One is Kitty wants to save Petrified Colossus. So she is like going to the Baxter building to steal a device because the FF are not answering their phone. Yes. That's kind of one thread, her like journey to steal this technology to save Peter. And then the kind of the other main thread is the Morlocks, um no brotherhood uh, okay well there, there is morlock stuff i guess it's not the main thread the other one is the morlock yeah i'm sorry the brotherhood are still attacking the x-men yes yes yeah, i mean right? the, the morlocks are in here for like maybe a page okay i just got excited because i'm excited for the morlock story next issue um yes the x-men are still fighting the the brotherhood and also uh xavier gets shot Yes, Mystique makes it into the to Xavier's kitchen by disguising herself as Rogue and shoots Professor X. Yeah, that was sort of a weirdly paced thing too, because obviously Rogue is this sort of former brotherhood. And if like this had ended on a cliffhanger with Rogue shooting Professor X, there's a party that's like, oh, it was all a trick. Yeah. She's been in, she's been pretending to be a good guy to yeah, get you into could, the X-Men. Yeah. But that is only you only fall for that for a panel or two. And then like the yeah. next page is revealed to be mystique. It's a weird misdirect for no reason. Maybe this is your hot take of the episode, which is that Claremont's bad at cliffhangers. He, <laughs> he, he really, I know you're not saying that he really likes to try to do them, but like, like we've pointed out before, a lot of the times the cliffhanger is Cyclops dead next issue. Oh, he's fine. Yeah. And this uh, isn't even a cliffhanger because it's middle of the, it's page 18 to 19. It's yeah. like, I do want to like, point out one thing. Professor X gets a letter from Cyclops and his new bride, Madeline Pryor, which includes a photo of Cyclops and Madeline Pryor in their bed with a heart shaped yeah. headstand, honeymoon. Like that's so a that creepy means, photo to send to your father photo. figure. And also at this time, he either set up a camera with a timer, got in bed, took his shirt off and put his hands behind his head or had the hotel staff come in and say, stand over there and take a picture. I want to send this to my, uh, to my dad, essentially. Yeah. I just can't imagine like taking a picture next to my wife, fiance, what, what have you, or newlywed, newlywed wife, yeah. our honeymoon bed, sending that photo to my father. Yeah. Shouldn't it just be the two? I'm not sending that photo to anyone, <laughs> but the last person is like, your parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cyclops is a freewheeling guy. Me me meeting the clone of his dead girlfriend has really opened him up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have the uh, fight um, with the Brotherhood. What'd you think of this issue, Kevin? I thought it was pretty good. The fight was a little more exciting in this issue. I mean, also, I think the subplots are more fun. Like the Professor X is dealing with this rogue thing. 
that Kitty Pride is trying to steal this device and your little Morlock page that you consider the main plot. <laughs> uh, it was all fun stuff. We get a fun moment of Wolverine threatening to kill Blob. And I, I, I always kind of an endeared to the Wolverine threatening to murder people moments. I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, like he, he always likes to, he, to put he puts his the claws right the... beneath the chin and be like, yeah. you ready to call it quits? I'll, I'll, I could kill you right now. And uh, want to call it quits? Either way is fine with me. And the blob's like, hey, I give up. It's kind of a fun moment. Yeah. And then the, uh, it's also the brotherhood give up in a way. It's like, we weren't, we were just distracting you, you idiots. Yeah. And that's yeah. when Mystique as Rogue shoots Professor X. Yeah. Um, the oh, yeah, one the, page, the, sorry, go. Well, the other thing that's interesting is the Mystique Nightcrawler thing is talked about where they basically kind of look alike. And that feels like that was probably a coincidence initially, just that Cockrum designed two people mm-hmm. with blue, with, you know, the same hue, dark blue skin or something. Yeah. And then somebody pointed out, kind of looks like Nightcrawler. So there's maybe some kind of relationship there. Yeah, and they in- are implying that Mystique is Nightcrawler's mom. Because even the previous issue that we kind of zipped by, Nightcrawler's sort of moaning that he never knew his real parents, which doesn't seem like a thing he's ever actually cared about. Yes. And but to Myst- do that in the issue with Mystique is certainly a, a nod yeah, and towards then, that. And in Murder World, Mystique is unable to murder robot oh, Nightcrawler, yeah, even yeah. though she was easily able to murder all the other X-Men, including Rogue. Yeah. So it's uh, like they're kind of underlining some sort of thing going on there. And I, and I believe... She is his mom. I think that is eventually just, I think eventually they cave in like, that's a fact now. Um, that's fun. I say that's fun. Oh, we get a, um, We get a lot of Destiny being useless in this fight. <laughs> Destiny, the future telling mutant who can never tell the future in any way that helps. Yeah. Um, that's, I fun. mean, it's sort of like um, anytime you have somebody who's so powerful, you just always have to give them an excuse for their power network. Uh, it uh, sadly also reminds me of the Invisible Woman who's like, Everyone can always see invisibility because otherwise she would get away. Yeah. That's like, oh, if I'm invisible, I can walk over and turn everything off. I can hear you. Oh, I guess my power is kind of yeah. worthless then. Thanks, or Dan. Cloud of it's like I can see the future, but not in this case. <laughs> um, this ends with Kitty Pride having successfully stolen a device from the Baxter building. We get a fun little quick glimpse of the Baxter building and the robot receptionist that John Byrne created. Um, and she's stealing it, but at the last second, she's on the top of the building and she tries to use her phase ability to kind of walk in the air off the roof of the Baxter building, but she fails to phase and hits the ground and seems to be dead. That's how the issue ends. Yeah. We had seen a one page thing where the, uh, uh, Morlocks were planning their, their X-Men revenge plan. Mm-hmm. We don't fully know what they're up to, but we do. Cause we've read ahead already. Yes. Um, and that's the end of this issue. Uh, Kitty Pride is dead or seems to be dead on the sidewalk of the Baxter building. And the <laughs> Brotherhood have, uh, they've left the X-Men, right? They're, they, how did that end? I forget. Like, um, I think they go to jail. They get taken away. Does Mystique. Oh, no, wait. Uh, well, they just get let go. Oh, no, they get, to, they get let go because Mystique does not kill Xavier. But she does shoot him, right? It feels like that's yeah. pretty lenient to let her go. Yes. So, yeah, they, they get to all leave. Okay. And they just basically don't finish off Xavier. So then what was this plan? Oh, because <laughs> her plan was to get Rogue back, and Rogue said no. 
that was the whole plan. So she didn't get Rogue back. She doesn't actually kill, care about killing Xavier. She just was mad. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty lenient. I mean, they, she's killed Colossus for all apparent purposes and, yeah. and, and really hurt Xavier. And they're like, well, you didn't kill him, so we'll see you next time. Yeah. Pretty chill. Pretty mellow group of heroes, the X-Men are. Um, then uh, Angel answer, answers the letters in the letter column. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. Warren Worthington I, answers all the letters of this issue. He's not even on the team anymore. Uh, well, he's, too, he's he's busy doing admin work, you know? He's, <laughs> he's, he's answering letters. Man, he his money must be doing bad. Must have made some Reed Richards-like <laughs> investments. <laughs> um, should we move on to 179? This was my yeah. favorite issue of uh, the issues. Yeah, let's keep going. Um, the next issue immediately undoes the death of Kitty Pride. Cliffhanger shows that she's alive. Yeah, she is alive. It turns out, well, the cover of this shows Kitty Pride getting married to Caliban, which is an outrageous cover that I kind of love. Yes. The book is great. It says Morlock Law, Ceremony of Marriage. Uh, I like, uh, John Romita Jr. has tweaked the look of uh, Caliban, Caliban, and I love it. How He's would you describe- a cool design. Like, Caliban already had this sort of, like, white zombie kind of uh, face. Yes. And, and John Romita Jr. has, like made his like face more fallow. Is that the word? Like uh, like gaunt in mm-hmm. gaunt, his eyes kind of more buggy. He looks a little uh, more mournful. I would say he looks kind of sad. He looks more tragic. Hang uh, on. He, little, he little sort of had a tragic uh, vibe to him. Right. Cause he sort of yeah. like lives away from the Morlocks and like yeah. fell in love with Kitty at first sight and just wanted her to love him. Yeah. So that was all part of his character. Now he looks the part of that character. I have a soft spot for Caliban. Because he, uh, I read X Factor for a little bit, and he was a part of that run. Yeah, um, and I was like, "There's something about this character who sort of seemed like a real." I have a, I have a soft spot for the lame mutants. Like he's just like a tracker is all he can do. Yeah, which is also like something Wolverine can do, and Wolverine can also do thirty other things. Right. Um, and so like Calman is like lame for a Morlock. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, I like him a little. I have a small soft spot for him. Uh, the cover with Kitty Pryde getting married to Caliban. I like that in the X-Men, one of the main plot points can be like a wedding sort of like, I think it's not somebody punching somebody. It's not like a big Kirby machine shooting a ray. Mm-hmm. It's a sad sack hangdog mutant getting married to one of our, one of our main characters uh, as a sad, tragic thing. Like um, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of fun. Like that, that is something that, the X-Men would do that the other Marvel titles of this time would not, you know, you'd go over to Daredevil and Frank Miller is having an, you know, ex Vietnam vet set hell's kitchen on fire with napalm. Mm-hmm. And this is the third like, wedding though. in like less than a year. Right. We had, um, I get, did Claremont get married around this time? Maybe he's just got it on his mind. <laughs> yeah. Cause Wolverine was almost married and Cyclops was married. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But this is like more, instead of just like, the the, yes, the, yes, yes. the 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 adventure of the issue is will Kitty Pride be forced to get married or not? Yes. Um. So, because like, I, what happened to Kitty, and we see her in a wedding dress and kind of groggy and being helped by all the Morlocks. I'll uh, also say, General Rita Jr. Just his Morlocks look scarier and kind of cooler. They kind of look. Uh, I'm looking at the splat. I I agree with that and. 
I'm looking at the splash page. It kind of looks like Keith Giffen sort of art. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Keith Giffen's a very blocky artist too. And John Rita Jr. is also like tweaked Callisto a little bit, I feel like. She's a little less Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders. Yeah, I mean, that's still there, but it, like she just looks a little scarier. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love it all. The high, the, the high level thing of this issue is the Morlocks have faked Kitty's death in order to kidnap her and force her to marry Caliban. And this is because when Callisto and the Morlocks faced off against the X-Men in issue 173 or whatever this was, no, 170, I forget when it was, but um, uh, Caliban betrayed the Morlocks because Kitty asked him to, and he said, only if you come back to me, and she said she would. And then he betrays the Morlocks, which lets the X-Men win, and she leaves and didn't come back. Yeah, it's sort of not even acknowledged in that story that she just sort of walks off, but he, she did. It's true. And uh, so the Morlocks are making her make good on her word and marry Caliban, who is in love with her. Right. And they're doing that to kind of mess with the X-Men because they don't actually care about Caliban. Yeah. But Ca but um, Callisto, Callisto wants to sort of make Storm squirm. Right. Storm humiliated Callisto and Callisto has, is still mad about it, right? Can okay. I ask a question about Wolverine? Yes. So he's Canadian. That's right. Dresses like a cowboy. Yes. Got, uh, but he's like really into Japanese culture. I think that's all true. Yeah, all right. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot going on for one dude. Yeah. He's, he's multicultural. Mm -hmm. um, we also get so, some more Nightcrawler as the medic in this story. <laughs> yeah. Nightcrawler's really taking on his medical role. He's got his stethoscope out and he's listening for a heartbeat on Petrified. His only move, I think, is getting a stethoscope out and listening for yeah. heartbeats, right? Um, but he's not a great doctor because he says, I can't hear a heartbeat, Professor. But when Peter's armored, I'm not even sure he has one. <laughs> he's never tried to, he doesn't have a baseline heart on uh, uh, Colossus already. They need a better doctor. They need that little mosquito guy from Star Jam or Sikorsky. Uh, when do they, when is this issue they come up with a plan to use Rogue to cure Colossus? Uh, it might end with that. I can't remember. Yes, I'm it does. I'm flipping through it as it we does. go. Toward the end. It's either this okay. issue or next, yeah. But okay, so that that's almost weirdly the B plot. The A plot is Kitty and the Morlocks. Mm -hmm. And so um, she escapes from them at one point, but then she's lost in the sewers and she discovers Leech, who mutes her powers. Yep. Uh, and Leech is another sort of sad sack, young, sad mutant that she feels bad for. There's a lot of kind of sweet feeling bad for the for the for the hangdog mutants. I mean, Leech is another great design. Leech was also a big part of like he showed up in Power Pack and, and New Mutants and X Factor a lot. I like Leech too. Uh, I do feel I bad for Leech. I like the Morlocks basically. How would you describe Caliban's a uh, wedding suit? It's very a uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. You know, I feel like it's sort of like goth rocker, top hat Victorian. It's like, it's like militaryish too, right? Wait, wait, let me. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking on the cover, he looks like that. Yeah, he's, yeah. he kind of looks like he's from the... I take it back. He looks like Nazi Sergeant Peppers. <laughs> okay, great. Um, yeah, uh, but I do feel bad for Caliban. He's just in love with Kitty. He wants her to, he wants her to marry him. And, and she's she, afraid of him. She shoves him away and runs off. Yeah, she's horrified. And she's in love with Colossus. Um, 
Caliban disgusts her, he says to Callisto uh, at one point. Uh, it's, yeah, it's very, it, it, it pulls at your heartstrings. Yeah. Um, not that you want Kitty to get married to somebody against her will, but you also feel bad for Caliban. Oh, at one point, Mask messes around with Kitty, trying to change her face to all these different things. Yeah, that's fun. One of them is she makes her so grotesquely deformed that she has no mouth and can't breathe. I didn't realize Mask had that much uh, finesse to her powers to make, he could make Kitty look like Storm. I always thought, uh, and he made, and I guess Mask also made the dead person look like Kitty in the previous issue. But I always thought Mask just like deformed your face. Yeah, I couldn't like, it wasn't, uh, but you know, these powers could just be amplifying. That happens sure. a lot in comics where they're- I mean, I, I got no problem with that power change. <laughs> um, but this this story is wrapped up in this issue, Kev. Do you want to say what happens with Caliban and Kitty? I, no, not yet. Um, okay. The Morlocks are an interesting culture. Like, there's so many of them. They're all gathered for this wedding. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like always in a big group hanging out together. You, it's not like they're spread out in the sewers all doing their own thing. And it, it just seems like they're always in a mob. <laughs> um, anyway, they're, they're I find them interesting. They're a family. Yeah, they're a lot, a huge family. I they're a lot them. tighter than the X-Men. The X-Men are always assuming that half of each other are dead and they, you know, and, and they just give <laughs> yeah. up on each other pretty fast. And but Professor X is going to space all the time. Callista doesn't go to space. They're always in one big room in the sewers, hanging out and doing weddings and fights to the death and stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So uh, Kitty promises to marry Caliban again if uh, the Morlocks help heal Colossus. And so the plan is that Rogue will absorb Colossus's power, which will turn him human again, which everyone has sort of assumed would kill him, would 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 work, get him to not be stone, but then he would have all the cuts and cracks from the granite form, and he would bleed out instantly. But the Morlocks have like a magic healer, which the X-Men really need. That person should be added to the X-Men right away. Yes. Um, but so, yeah, so Rogue absorbs the power turning Colossus human again. And then the healer fixes him up in a couple panels. Uh, and then Kitty goes back to the Morlocks to marry Caliban, says goodbye to Liana. Um, and Callista, uh, rather Caliban says, you don't have to marry me because he's, he gets it. He realizes I don't want you to marry me because you're forced to. Caliban has never seen anyone, anything more beautiful. You look so sad. Do you miss the sun? Uh, and then he says, I love you so much. I only want you to be here if you're happy. Go away and maybe someday you'll decide to come back, have your own volition. Gives her a rose. Uh, when you look at it, remember him kindly, not as the Morlock monster, but as the prince. Yeah, of course, that rose will be dead in a couple of days. A couple of days. Uh, Caliban's kind of king of the incels. <laughs> you know, this pretty yeah. girl won't like me and uh, I'm going to suffer tragically in her absence. Well, at least he's not... Um... You know, making a bomb because right, he's right, so right. mad that she like. Um, that's true. That's true. If you're if you're going to be this sort of person, mope to yourself at least. <laughs> Which is, I guess, what Caliban does. So yeah. we're kind of we're kind of left thinking that Caliban's not a such a bad person. Yeah, I mean he he's just been raised as a Morlock creature. I mean, In like the sewers, he, and he's just kind of hidden from society, and it's crazy. Yeah, he doesn't know any better. 
and finally, Will, we've got issue 180, which I just want to say the... Rogue answers the letters at the end of this issue. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Now let's move on. No, it's good for her. I mean, that's sort of a hazing as a new member, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, issue 180, what a great cover. Yeah, this is a great cover. Storm uh, and Kitty Pride, Storm suspending Kitty way above the X Mansion. Kitty's still kind of costumeless. I can't picture what Kitty's costume is. I can. I also can't picture what her superhero name is. What is it? Shadow Cat. I always picture Shadow Cat and I picture the big fluffy sleeves. I think of her in Excalibur era Kitty Pride always. But apparently people do not like the name Shadow Cat or creators did not. And that costume is kind of stupid. I agree. But I liked it. It just looks right. It looks right in the same way a lot of dumb costumes look right to me because it's just that's what I saw. Yeah. Uh, but now she's just called Kate Pride in comics. She's never called, she has no superhero name. She has no costume. That's she's what just, she's called in uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah. Well, she's grown up. Uh, so the splash page is one of the funniest splash pages I've seen in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, uh, it's Professor X taking a jump shot. Uh, he's got a big grin on his face, showing a lot of skin. He's pretty beefy. And best of all, he's got an X on his shorts. He's got X branded athletic wear. Uh, and yeah. he's not only walking, he's taking what looks like a pretty well-formed jumper. For a guy who hasn't played basketball in a long time. Or walked. <laughs> or walked. Also, like, last we knew, he w- was struggling to walk. And he was shot, right? He was shot very recently. But you know, who knows? That Morlock healer probably healed him, too. On the way out, yeah. Um, but, the, the, like, he was struggling with his rehab. He was not good at this two issues ago. He was straining and sweating. Just to stand. Yeah. And now something in the last couple of issues, he's gotten real good. And Page two shows him doing a bunch of like metal arc lemon sort of ball handling skills. Like, yeah. And he's talking like, uh, I don't know, like a white teenager in the suburbs <laughs> playing yeah. on his driveway. The crowd roars as Xavier moves up court. Abdul Jabbar attempts to steal. Kareem would not be doing the steal, by the way. <laughs> that would be anybody else on the Lakers. Uh, but Xavier slips past. What speed, folks? What grace and skill? This man's incredible. Time's running out. The championship's at stake. He reaches the three-point line. He sets, he shoots. That's not a three-point shot. That's a skyhook. <laughs> um, he laughs, bounces off the ribs. So much for dreams of glory. Yeah, I mean, at least he missed. Uh, it's ridiculous. It does not feel like Xavier at all to me. Also, there is a banner behind the hoop. Do you see this one? It says Xavier yes. School of Basketball, 1972 <laughs> to 1973. What does that mean? I don't know. I think it means that he was a good basketball player at that time, but it also implies that he went to a school named after him. Right. Yeah. Or like there was a school team for one year. <laughs> <laughs> at the current X school. I guess oh, yeah. 72, 73 would be during the original X-Men run. That would be like. Yeah. You know, he had Angel and Jean Grey on a basketball team. I guess so. Feels insane. Beast probably banner, dribbling with that his banner's feet. banner's the craziest thing that's happened in this entire series. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this whole sequence is very silly. It's fun, but it's silly. Uh, Xavier's been having uh, psychic headaches. Yeah, like psi attacks. Yeah. Last time he had these, I think it was Lalandra coming to visit him, right? Um. Yes, it was that he had fallen in love with Lalandra somehow, and that was like messing with his brain. Yeah, this there is also there also was but... a time when the brood was in his head, right? Uh, that also was causing like psychic weirdness. This time it is the Beyonder doing it, right? It's it's the Secret Wars coming. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So uh, Storm checks in on Professor X, and he's attracted to her, I got to say, Kevin. He's got a little thought of her being hot here. It's uncool. Does not seem like Professor X. Well, I mean, it does in the sense that when Stan Lee wrote him, I think he was turned on by Jean Grey, but that's... (laughs) I'm not making that up. There are panels I've seen. Oh, I'm sure. Like, he's like, oh, she's beautiful. (laughs) It's hard for Um, me to ignore that she's such a female. Yeah, that's what Stan Lee would write. And that's what this feels like. Claremont should know better than to have the father figure... I mean, he's a father. I mean, I know he's not quite the father figure of this X-Men as he is of like the original X-Men. Yeah. Or that he still movie. sort of feels like it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, this is a sweet little moment, though, where Storm says she feels insane because she's been going through such a personality change. And Professor X touches her head and goes, my side probe reveals no mental illness. Yeah. I mean, I like the sequence where Storm just being kind of talking about how she's she's changing and she doesn't know why. And. You know, I mean, it's the thing that it's kind of a cool plot line. It doesn't fully make sense to me what's happening to her, but it's a fun storyline anyway. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's mostly a sweet moment, even though it starts off ridiculous with the basketball playing mm-hmm. and horn dogness. Then we move to uh, Kitty Pride playing arcade with your favorite mutant, Doug Ramsey. Oh, love Doug Ramsey. Yeah. Uh, this is Cypher of the New Mutants, whose mutant yes. power is speaking any language, and that includes computer programming languages, yes. alien languages. Under the Jonathan Hickman era, he composes the Krakoan language that they use. He like, yes. designs that. He also is the only one who can communicate with the island. Yep. Uh, uh, so- he's a very fun character. He is obviously not a good combat character every now and then people do things to him to make him more make sense as a combat character he's most fun when he's not good for combat but he is fun as like a behind the scenes guy it's an intriguing power right to be able to speak any language Um, oh man i'd love it yeah i remember as a kid you loved cypher still do still do um is he part of the new mutants now it sounds like he's being kind of discovered here this is i think i think I can't say for sure. I think this is his first appearance. Okay. Uh, it's very early in the Marvel career of Doug I mean, Ramsey cipher. At any it rate. might be in an Avengers annual that Claremont wrote or a Marvel team up or something. That but, happens well, a lot. But what we're um, seeing in this issue is that he and Kitty Pride kind of have a crush on each other. He definitely seems they're at least very good friends. They mm-hmm. bond over like computers. They seem to be similar aged. They talk as if they're best friends already, which is par right for the on, course in a right, Claremont. Yep. Um, they're hanging out a lot. She's in love with Colossus. Colossus is in love with her, but she and Doug Ramsey are hanging out and they have more in common, which is something that's going to yes. give Colossus insecurity later in this issue. Oh, right away. The very next segment. <laughs> yes. Colossus and Wolverine are Colossus is constantly chopping down trees, by the way. There's uh, so few trees left on the uh, X-Men grounds. And Wolverine and Colossus are hanging out and Colossus is sort of giving, talking about his insecurities over Kitty being friends with Doug and that he's not enough for Kitty. Yeah, And he's asking for romantic advice from Wolverine. Terrible uh, choice. A man who threatens to murder people all the time and who got jilted a month ago. Yeah, uh, And I'd assume be pretty brokenhearted. Uh, then we have Storm and her, the botanical gardens of the Bronx, where some muggers make the really ungodly bad choice of deciding <laughs> to mug one of the most powerful people on the planet Earth. This is not the first time that Storm has had to deal with, like, she also went to, like, her old home and was attacked by, like, drug dealers, right? Yeah. This happens to Storm a lot, and she, you know, handles herself fine. Uh, So she takes out these four muggers and also rescues two people who were uh, being threatened by them. Yes. 
So they're um, a little afraid of her, which is, you makes know, her sad. And she's kind of like, she's kind of afraid of herself. She's feeling herself becoming more violent and less pacifist than she used to be. Um, Kitty has told the team that she wants to go with uh, Doug. Uh, Doug Ramsey because he is uh, attending or he's going to start attending the Hellfire Club school, whatever that's called, the Massachusetts, Massachusetts something Academy. And she wants to go with him. Just to get just to get him settled in because she's worried because it's an evil place, but she can't tell him that, I guess, because I don't know why. I feel like that's don't something know you why. could tell him. They're run yeah. by evil villains. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so she's like, I think I can handle this. And everyone sort of says, Yeah, you can do it. Is um, she but keeping also, her mutant power secret from Doug for some reason? I think so. Okay. At this point, I don't think he knows. Um, and then the storm uh using wind sucks kitty pride out a window and up into the sky to have it out with her she's like why are you so scared of me as i dangle you yeah 20 stories up in the air yeah and they in two actually i was gonna say quick but for comics that's a long conversation uh it's basically like three pages they kind yeah. of have a heart to heart where kitty's like i'm mad that you're changing and storm is like that's not fair to expect people never to change it doesn't mean that we can't care about each other and they work and it out. like you've changed yeah I used is to be it, the most important person to you, and now like Colossus is, or Cipher, or and it's like a really good conversation. Yeah, th- this is sort of where Claremont, I think, is at his best in a way that nobody else at Marvel even came close to doing, which is like people speaking the truth about their feelings to each other in a very adult way. Like I, I remember this even at the time, just being struck by the X Men in this way. This is just like. I yeah. don't know. This is Claremont's jam. This is something that I don't, I don't see it in John Byrne comics. I don't see it in certainly in Frank Miller comics. I do think after reading 180 issues, like for every two of these, he does right. He does one really poorly. Yeah. Just clumsily, but like he's attempting them. And I think that is so much of it. It is. And also again, in contrast to the other Marvel comics, it would just stand out. Mm-hmm. Um Kitty, so they work it out. Then Kitty gets on the plane to go with Doug Ramsey. And on the plane is Emma Frost, the White Queen. So trouble is afoot, even on the flight there. Yes. Meanwhile, the X-Men are going to investigate whatever's been plaguing Professor X's mind. It's in Central Park. It's the big stone structure that we recognize as the gateway to the Beyonders planet. So they're going to the Secret Wars. Right. So Secret Wars, the entire 12-issue miniseries, will happen between issues. Yeah. And next issue will be the X-Men coming back from that. The readers at that time won't know what has happened. A Colossus will have fallen in love with whatever that alien's name is and fallen out of love with Kitty. And that'll be true next issue. And, and Storm and Xavier uh, will have issues over who leads the X-Men during that time. I don't know if that plays into it because it's more of a shooter thing. So maybe that plays up in the following issues. I don't know. Yeah. Um, pretty exciting. We're up to the secret wars. So Kevin, that's, that's our X issues for this, for this episode. Yeah. We did a good job. Will. I think we did too. Let's take a break and then we'll get to some email. So Kevin, screw it. Comics is sponsored by Shortboxed. Why don't you tell the people what that is? Shortboxed is an app and a website where people buy and sell graded comic books, uh, that they've uploaded photos of and then you know, ship them to each other, sort of like a, a, a very specialized uh, shopping network. I've already talked too much. Uh, no, you're doing great. And uh, what is uh, graded comic books? Graded comic books are when people send their comics to a third party. Mm-hmm. We take these comics and kind of judge the condition of the comic book. Is it is it folded? Is it 
ripped a little bit? Is it how faded are the colors? And then they kind of seal it in like sort of this hard plastic and send it back with a grade on it uh, between like zero and 10. So 10 being like, oh, this comic is in perfect condition. It could not possibly be better. And one is, what did you do to this comic book? <laughs> what happened You're here? a monster, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sharpbox, their app has just been redesigned recently. So it's more intuitive and prettier. And they have giveaways where you can like enter contest to win graded comic books, sometimes signed, sometimes pretty old. I enter, I've entered a few and I've won zero. Hint, hint, short box. Let's rig it for your sponsees. Yeah, that there's no controversy there. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Shortboxed is great. We think you should download the Shortboxed app and check it out today. Or tomorrow. One of the two. Okay, and we're back. Kevin, let's get to some mailbag. What's, uh, what's, uh, hey, while you're, while you're calling those up, listeners, if you want to send us email, send us an email to screwitcomics at gmail, and we'll definitely read it probably answer it and then possibly read it on an episode. We also have a Twitter account, screw it comics and an Instagram account, screw it comics. Please check all those things out. Um, do we, should we talk about any, uh, any news, Kevin, like the Batman movie you've seen that. And then also I'm caught up on moon Knight. Do you want to talk about any of these things? Maybe next should episode? Say moon Knight until moon Knight is done. Okay. Are you enjoying it still? I am. I guess I enjoy all the Marvel shows, though. It's just a yeah, question of how much. I'm on the uh, amazing Spider Talk Slack channel, and uh, it's interesting. People, are, Some people hate some of them and love other ones, and like, oh, I was really disappointed by this. And like, I was like, oh, I hated the last episode of WandaVision. And my reaction is like, oh, I'm, I'm enjoying every single one. Maybe it's partly just having not had any Marvel TV shows or movies for so long makes us easier to please. I think also they are pretty solid. Like, they're, yeah. I think it's, they are. It I is also good. rare for them to transcend the sort of general sure. level of Marvel quality. That's, but they're usually they also don't dis descend. None into of them badness. are Better Call Saul or or Sopranos, and but also none of them are like. I don't watch Su bad shows. The first Suicide Squad or like. Yeah, none of them are like Suits season eight. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking that out of maybe Suits is great. I don't know, but uh, Man, you know, you after Suits. One of the later seasons is really where it dropped off. After Meghan Markle left, uh, you know, it's not. It doesn't feel like a a, a crummy thrown together show. So it, it's like at worst, it's got to be pretty good. And when people don't like finales and things, I'm just sort of like, all right. And I like the Disney Plus shows. Generally, I'm more excited for them than I am for the Marvel movies lately. I find them a bit more experimental and interesting. I mean, there's uh, there hasn't been that many Marvel movies lately, except for like the Eternals, right? And Spider Man, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'd love to talk more about Moon Knight when it's over. Okay. Um, well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll save it for another episode. We can talk about the Batman if you want. Well, let's just do it. What'd you think of the Batman? I thought it was fine. I was a mm -hmm. little disappointed by it because I was hoping it would. I, I, I like Matt Reeves' Planet of the Apes movies. Yes. And so I was hoping this would uh, sort of surprise me. In this, like those movies, I'm like, those movies should have been bad and they were great. And I'm like, well, wh what's another Batman movie going to bring? No, oh, this guy surprised me before. And it didn't. It was just sort of like, it was just sort of not that great. It looked great. The guy's got is a visually mm -hmm. great director. Uh, the sets and the costumes and the shots all looked really good. I found the story fine. Okay. And I think, as I said to you, I found the grounding of it. While an interesting idea, it didn't work for me, like making it try to feel like more gritty and real. Right. By like making the Riddler like some sort of serial killer guy. 
and the penguin just sort of a um, didn't have the trappings of a penguin, right? He's just sort of a, a, a pockmarked, overweight mob boss. Yeah, uh, which is fine. I don't have issues with that, but it makes Batman look really insane to me when he's not fighting off against a Joker or a Scarecrow or a Two Face. Like it's like, why are you dressed like a bat? And he's like working with the police. <laughs> like there's a scene very early in the movie where he goes to like a crime scene investigation, and I sort of like the idea of like almost like a Batman as part of the police, which is like was a status quo for a long time in comics. It's something interesting about that. But then he just looks crazy. Like the police officer's like, excuse me, I need to take a photo. And Batman has to like move out of the way. I'm like, that cat must have gone home. It's like, there's a guy dressed as a bat at work today. I don't get why he's dressed as a bat in this world. Yeah. Like, it seems like nobody is scared of him as a bat. So it's like, he could just be a guy in a leather armored suit that beats people up. And that would be just as effective. Uh, he They also spend a lot of the movie where he just, the, people call him vengeance. He calls himself vengeance, which seems like a quippy thing, right? It's like, who are you? I'm vengeance. Right. But then a lot of people say, hey, Mr. Vengeance. Hey, vengeance. Hey, are you vengeance? It's like a big part of the ending is someone saying that they are vengeance. Yeah. As if that's his name. Yeah. But his name is Batman, right? His name is Batman. Absolutely. There's no it's doubt not about vengeance. that. It's not like he thinks his name is vengeance and he no. changes it to Batman at the end of the movie. He's dressing like a bat. He's got a bat signal on, but he's mostly called vengeance. And it, I find that all very weird. I almost kind of wish Batman wasn't in the movie and it was just a Catwoman movie. She fit the world in a way he didn't. But I, all that sounds like a huge complaint. I thought it was fine. And okay. I also think if I saw it in like a sold out theater, I could have been really swept up into it and just been like, oh, that was great. Yeah. But watching it home alone over two nights, I was just sort of like, yeah, it looked nice. Yeah. I did see it in a crowded movie theater that was pretty into it. And I was under its spell. I, I was super entertained and kind of I found it gripping. It was mostly just because of the look was cool and the sound design was creepy. It kind of reminded me of the Arkham Knight video game in a nice way. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, the video game kind of has these immersive atmospheric graphics, a good video game. This movie had that. Batman's one of these guys like Spider-Man where there's been so many adaptations of him that really the well is sort of permanently dry in a way. Yeah. Like it's hard for me to imagine anything. I could just imagine somebody doing it well, but I have trouble of anybody thinking of anybody doing it new. Yeah. I also think if they did, the only new way I can think to do it, we talked about it once before, is doing like a Batman and Robin movie like a very robin centric batman and robin movie where it's not dark and gritty where it's sort of like a light of hope uh yeah like the, the joy of robin who's just like natural at this can't be denied but i wonder if that would just come off as campy and silly to people it feels very possible and i think that's a really astute observation we haven't seen it that's a that's a new tone it's something that everybody knows everybody who knows batman knows batman and robin so yeah robin not, is probably the second most famous character in the DC universe, maybe third, I guess. After Superman, like Superman, Superman Batman, Batman, and then Robin. And Robin, I think. I think I had a Wonder Woman. I think you might be right. Like it's yeah, it's interesting. We haven't really seen a good Robin. That might be that might be the way forward for the Batman. I mean, franchise. Robin has been in all the cartoons. He was in like the original Batman serials and the TV show. It's weird that he's barely been in the movies. And you still get excited whenever whenever one sees Robin, especially Dick Grayson, yeah. uh, enter into the story. It's like. Uh, this guy belongs here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that would be different. I, I worry that it would come off as like, why well, is like this any, kid in the movie? Like anything, it could be bad or it could be good. Yeah. Um, I mean, even in Dark Knight Returns, when Carrie Kelly enters, it makes the story better. Yeah, she's great. 
I think that book comic would not be as good without her. Absolutely would not be. There's no doubt about it. All right. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate those takes. Oh, I should also done. say, like, I've heard our, our pal Eric Tenoy yeah. doesn't like the costumes, doesn't like the riddles. And those are probably fair points. Neither of those things bothered me watching it. Like, I thought the costume looked cool in isolation. It just looks silly and standing context. around with the police officers. Yeah. And the riddles were dumb, I guess, but you I didn't don't care. Know. If they were hard riddles, then I would have not cared, liked it more. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter, right? It's not the um, riddles. It's the it's the crimes he's doing along with the riddles. Also, here's another thing about that movie. I don't think Batman saves anybody. I think he mostly just does what the Riddler wants until like, like almost the final scene. He like saves a couple people. You might be right. I I didn't notice that when I was watching it, but you might be right. I, I mean, there's. I don't want to say uh, when we get off. I'm going to say one more thing because it's very spoilery for the end. But okay. I, I think uh, uh, I think he. Screws up plays the into whole hands. Okay. The whole time. Yes. Okay. So I don't know how many emails we got through 10 emails last time. We're going to get through a lot fewer today. Okay. Let's try for one. Keith Moser sent us more trivia questions. He sent us trivia questions before. It was a lot of fun. Let's do it. I'm going to read a little bit of his email and then I'm going to read. He split them up into two sets. So we're going to do one set today. I think so glad we enjoyed the trivia I shared. Uh, I didn't expect you to read play it all on the podcast. I feel bad for failing to credit the author of that excellent Spider-Man trivia from Learned League. Most users go by screen name. Uh, so credit to Galloway T for the Spider-Man trivia. So okay, thank, thank you, Galloway, Galloway T. T. We had a lot of fun answering those. Uh, he wants to congratulate me, Will, for getting 11 out of 12 correct. Yes. He says eight out of 399 players took the quiz, got all 12. So uh, that's nice. Will didn't do too badly himself. He definitely got more than I did. So I guess the two of you chose well when you started your podcast. <laughs> You're definitely no milksops when it comes to Spidey trivia. Thank gosh. So here's another recent quiz that I thought you might enjoy. Comics in the 1980s written by Goldfarb David J. Okay, we have a shot at this. The questions are a little longer, so I'm attaching them in two sets of six. Totally up to you if you want to play all 12 on one podcast or split them between two. We'll split them up in two. I wrote the answers... So there's only one answer per page. So Kevin can more easily play along, check your answers without spoiling himself. Keith, this is tremendous. This is the best thing that's ever happened to us. And Kevin has a child. Uh, yeah, this is a little better <laughs> than my son. Okay, so question one, Will. All right. Uh, a collaboration by two creators on X-Men, which had broken new ground is in superhero storytelling, moving away from being relatively self-contained individual units towards long-running soap opera-style serial, came to an end in 1980. One of them remained on X-Men and related titles to the 1980s, while the other went on to do, among other things, a well-received run on Fantastic Four and a reboot of Superman. <laughs> Name them both. Chris I Claremont mean, and John Byrne. That's a, yeah, that's a that's gimme not, if I've ever heard one. It's not even worth answering. <laughs> um, great. Number two. A collaboration by two creators and the new Teen Titans continued the trend towards long-running serial stories with their run beginning in 1980. They worked together on DC's First line-wide crossover, Crisis on Infinite Earths. The artists of the pair worked on the post-crisis reboot of Wonder Woman, making changes to her character that have lasted to the present day. Name the artist. Okay, I know both of these. Do you want me, me to It's Marv Wolfman and George Perez, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. I'm not even looking up the answers. That's correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, number three. He was one of the first black writers for the big two. During the 1980s, he wrote, do you know the answer yet? Buzz in when you I, know the answer. Does uh, Jim Owsley or Christopher Priest? Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. Uh, during the 1980s, he wrote stories starring Power Man and Iron Fist, Spider-Man, including a Spider-Man versus Wolverine one-shot, Conan and Green Lantern. He also served for a time as editor of the Spider-Man titles. He is best remembered for a long run on Black Panther starting in 1998 after he had legally changed his name. 
This run introduced the character of Kay Everett Ross, upgraded the Black Panther's costume from a plain silhouette with the addition of a cape and gold accessories, and gave him a new focus on international intrigue. Uh, name this writer and editor. Either name is acceptable. Doing good so far, Will. So I feel like I'm a real comics reader all of a sudden. The Holocaust memoir Mouse was among the first comics to <laughs> – oh, this feels like a he's, – He's digging at us because we forgot us. to think of it. Okay, but – uh, Mouse was the first comic to demonstrate the possibilities of the medium to mainstream literary comics. A lot of people say one of the four touchstones. <laughs> no. uh, its creator, Art Spiegelman, and his wife, Francois Morley, mm -hmm. published the magazine in which it was first serialized. What was the magazine's title? We both know this, right, Kev? I don't know it. I should. It's raw, raw. Oh, that the... would have been my guess is raw, though. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't sure it was raw. Was raw also where like Richard Salas stuff was? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of raw is terrific. Raw would have been my wild guess, but I, just because it's the only one of those things I know, and I know there's a handful of those. Yeah. Like alternative anthology Sam books. Sampler kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki, mm -hmm. I'm mangling that a little bit, began a manga series featuring an iconic post-apocalyptic heroine in 1982. The Animage Magazine readers poll with favorite anime character had her in the top spot all through the second half of the 1980s. She flew on a powered glider and lived in a world of giant insects. She was named after a princess in the Odyssey, the first person to whom Odysseus spoke after he left Calisp uh, uh, Calypso's island. What was her name? I don't know. I'm going to guess a princess. I don't even can you say Mananoke. I forget the, I forget. I don't know. You, you I don't know either. So now I have to look it up. Oh, great. I'm reading the answers here. There's a little commentary. Chris Claremont, John Byrne, if you guys missed this one, I'm unsubscribing. <laughs> totally fair. George Perez, James Owsley, Christopher Priest, Raw. Uh, no, we no, we didn't get this. Nawasaka of the Valley of the Wind. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Cool question. Yeah. I, like when you, know I like that. when you learn something on trivia, trivia questions. Okay. Uh, last one for today, then we'll do six more next time. I think they also get harder. So next time they're going to be harder six questions. Okay, great. Uh, number six. Uh, you can buzz in when you know this one well. Okay. Name the publishing company. <laughs> Just kidding. Sure. Okay, no, not yet. Uh, do you remember when we did Trivial Pursuit uh, <laughs> with uh, Children's Trivial Pursuit, but without the multiple choice questions? Yeah. And one of them was like, which of these... Yeah, which of these is longest or yeah. which of these is not a pastry? Those are the two I remember. And we'd have to answer it without the choices. Very fun. What fun kids we were. Yeah. I mean, I think we were 30. <laughs> um, name the publishing company headed by Cat Ironwood. And, yes. Eclipse. Yeah. Uh, by Cat Ironwood and Dean Mullaney. It published Alan Moore's Miracle Man, as well as early work of Scott McCloud and Kurt Busaic and Larry Martyr's Wonderful Tales of the Bean World. Yeah. Let's see. Any more commentary? Eclipse Comics. Yes, we got it. Okay. So next time we will do another six questions from Keith. Keith, these are really fun. I know we were taunting the early ones. I think we should just easy. do them. I think we should just do them all. Okay. Keep buzzing when you know the answers, because I think these, this next one is also easy. Okay. Uh, one of the first gay superheroes was a member of the Canadian super team Alpha Flight. Eh, uh, North Star. He didn't openly say so until 1982, but from his first 1980s appearance, there were a number of very broad hints name him. Correct. Yeah. Eight. A certain writer-artist made a splash with a run on Daredevil. Eh. <laughs> Frank Miller, right? It's got to be. <laughs> for Marvel and a miniseries called Ronin for DC. But easily his best-known work from the 1980s was, oh, Sorry, that I, that's correct, but not the question they're looking for. Okay. 
But easily his best known work from the 1980s was what other limited series? Oh, The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. It introduced a new square binding for its individual installment, which was called prestige format. For a while, it was called Dark Knight format. That's definitely what it was colloquially called. Colloquially. Uh, this series was a hybrid of superhero action and science fiction with a super with a star-powered hero focused on missions to execute mass murderers. It started at Capital Comics, then was published by First Comics, and finally migrated to Dark Horse Comics. Name it. I, I don't know. I have a guess. Do you want to guess? Uh, I see a picture, so it becomes very easy for me because of the illustration. If I I'm, show you the I'm illustration. Gonna guess, okay. Uh, I'm going to guess. Guess without the illustration. Vigilante is my guess. Um, I recognize him, and I cannot remember what he's called. It's not. I don't know. I forget. It's Nexus. Oh, yes. Steve yes. Rude. Uh, Steve Rude's Nexus. Yes, absolutely should have had that. Uh, just making sure. Uh, uh, North Star, oh, number eight, Dark Knight Returns. Another one that will make me unsubscribe if you get it wrong. I mean, for Ooh. sure. Number nine, Nexus. Yes, okay. Just making sure I didn't get that wrong. Uh, okay, number 10. Alan Moore's original proposal for Watchmen used the heroes that DC had recently acquired from Charlton Comics. DC editorial, feeling more story would make further use of them impossible, asked him to create similar but new ones. Three of the six originals get their, did get their own titles later in the decade. The ones corresponding to Night Owl, Dr. Manhattan, and Rorschach. Which three Charlton characters are these? Uh, Night Owl's Blue Beetle, Dr. Manhattan is Captain Adam, and Rorschach is The Question. I should have not read that last part. I think like that would have made it a little trickier. But I think Comedians, you comedians Peacemaker, now much more famous. Yep. And I don't know who Silk Spectre is. She is oh. somebody, but I forget who. Yeah. And Ozymandias was somebody too, right? Yeah, and I don't remember. I don't remember him. But that's not the question. We, yeah, Keith might have unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the more long-running collaborations started in 1987 with the publication of Violent Cases in the UK. Although Neil, both it's Neil Gaiman and Dave McKeon. Is that what we're looking for? Although both its writer and artist achieved much greater prominence later, they made their debut at DC with Black Orchid. The writer's breakthrough hit series for DC with covers by the same name began in 1989. Name either one. You got them both. Well. All right. Last one. I don't think this, I know I mean, this. This is established. I once knew comics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean this category is uh, comics read. when Will read them. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Number 12. God of Comics, Osami Tezuka, published three volumes of the series he called his life's work, dying with it unfinished. Ugh. Its wow. various volumes used themes of death and reincarnation or set in many different time periods. Its Japanese titles was Hai no Tori, on a related note, your Smith enjoys the Japanese dish of grilled chicken skewers and yakitori, but doesn't know if Tezuka did. Give the series title in English. I I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, I'm going to guess Akira, but I don't know what it is. I mean, this, the cover here, are you looking at this? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that cover is. Uh, let's see what it is. Phoenix. Oh, wow. Yeah, did not cover The cover looks great. Yeah, it looks really good. So I didn't know that. We are we are American-centric, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Keith. These were a blast. Thank you, really Goldfarb. Fun. Thank you. David, Jay, as well. Uh, Silk Spectre was originally inspired by a character called Nightshade. And um, Ozymandias was inspired by uh, Peter Ken and Thunderbolt. Right, right. right. Thunderbolt. Um, yeah. Karen Gillan did a Thunderbolt miniseries, which was a stealth sequel to Watchmen. It was basically another Ozymandias preparing uh, um, to deal with the other Ozymandiases from other worlds, including the one from Watchmen's world or something like that. 
was sort of a very fun take on it. It wasn't like a direct sequel, but it was clearly like a jumping off of Alan Moore's take on this character. Gotcha. Let's get um, to email number two. <laughs> Great. Let's just do, we probably only have time for a couple. Barry Wallace. Uh, good day, Mr. Milksop and Mr. Pantywaist. If indeed those are your real names. I've been listening to you guys since the early days of the pod. I think I heard Will on Inside the Disney Vault and was immediately intrigued by his upbeat attitude. <laughs> and couldn't wait to hear his thoughts on my beloved Spidey. When I found out he had a brother, a kindred spirit, can you imagine how much my excitement grew? No, no, it's impossible for you to grasp. I even told my son, Brandon, about you guys and how now he and at least one of his friends, <laughs> or probably thousands of them, are now dedicated listeners. I'll take two. I mean, that's... Yeah, Great. that's pretty good. Uh, but the main reason I'm writing is no doubt you've heard that John Romita Jr. is about to launch a new chapter. This just came out today, Will, when we're recording it. Okay. It's about to launch a new chapter in the story of history of the amazing Spider-Man. And since we, you and I, are of equal youth, I thought it would be wonderful if you guys covered it as spokespeople of our generation. He is, in my mind, the preeminent Spidey artist, and I'm sure you guys have a soft spot for him. After all, him and George Lucas absolutely made the 80s for me. Anyway, thanks for all you do. I can't wait to listen to more of your amazing podcasts. Thank you so much, Barry. Um, we're not going to cover that issue. I don't think Will's going to read it anytime soon. No, but I like, will read it, but I have not yet. Um, thanks for the kind email. I do think John Rita Jr. probably is, to me, he's number two. After, after Ditko. Ditko. Yeah. I mean, Ditko started it. John Rita Jr. has had like three epic, this will be his third big run on the title. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard not to think of him. Though, I mean, his father obviously is yes, also hard his, not to think of. His father is kind of definitive. Yes. And in a weird way, Todd McFarlane's probably the most famous. Even more yes, than Ditko. Yes, Todd McFarlane has probably a bigger, uh, bigger like, echoes effect, yeah. And this is an email from Manu. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Good day, Milk Sops. <laughs> I've been listening since the OG Ditko Spider-Man run. Thanks for several years now of great comics chat. I might have even emailed you back during your first season. Uh, I got one personal anecdote and then some daredevil ruminations. Oh, no, this I might read this all. I forgot about this part. A couple of weeks ago, you joked about, this must be months ago at this point, Will. A couple of weeks ago, you joked about being popular in Italy. I think we riffed about our podcast being huge in Italy. Yeah. Not true. Yeah. We have no knowledge of that. Uh, by accident, my Metal Gear Solid podcast is actually popular in Italy. <laughs> we named it Podcast Sans Frontiers, uh, podcast without borders translated, to mimic an organization in one of the games. Uh, no comment on having a Metal Gear Solid podcast with neither Metal Gear or Solid in the title. <laughs> a few months after we launched, we found out that we were the top video game podcast in Italy on Apple because we named it Sans Frontiers. <laughs> Those foreign weirds helped SEO in one Metal Gear moment in the third game set in 1964. The hero Snake is called a panty waist. <laughs> uh, anyway, on to Daredevil. I'm sympathetic to Will's point about Matt not having a clear personality, especially in the comics you are covering. But I think over time, Matt has become one of the more interesting alter egos over time. Catholic guilt, Irish heritage, defense attorney job, and nominal disability have turned Matt into the conflicted mess of guilt, courage, and duty. Wade, Brubaker, Bendis, Smith, and more recently, Sol and Zdarsky have really cultivated a lot of pathos into that, what I think is one of the most best-defined Marvel characters going now. Uh, any reaction to that, Will? I think 
since I didn't really read Daredevil after the Born Again series, it's totally possible that other writers quickly gave him a personality. I mean, in the Miller comics, I think that Matt Murdock was kind of a cipher for crime stories. And really the kingpin was like more defined. But I this sounds right to me. This and I, and what he's describing sounds really intriguing. So it certainly is true that Daredevil has become it weirdly was like probably one of the least interesting Marvel comics for so long. And now it's become like the most consistently good Marvel comic for so long. It's popular enough that good creators want to work on it, but not so popular that it needs to like have 10 titles and a crossover every six months. Interesting. Yeah. It's kind of in a sweet spot to, yeah. to get it good stuff. Good attention. Uh, Manu also recommends some stuff for us to cover. Will. Uh, I'd be interested to hear you two cover something brand new, like a modern Miss Marvel or squirrel girl. I'd love to hear your takes on these. Uh, stories that kind of act against the high stake violence of Batman and Daredevils, even if they're geared towards slightly younger readers. Critics have also posited that the original Kamala Khan stories are a modern day version of Peter Parker's origin, the down and luck teen juggling the personal and super heroic. Anyway, I just wanted to suggest something way different, but I'd also be happy with God Loves, Man Kills, which we should cover as an extension of your Claremont coverage or even the Daredevil graphic novel Miller did with Bill Sinkiewicz. Sinkiewicz. Yeah. It's a tough one. Uh, thank you, Manu. Yeah, I mean, I love both Squirrel Girl and Miss Marvel. We'll probably do something about Miss Marvel when the show. We're going to do right? something about Miss Marvel. We're going to do a crash course at least. I really love the first two trades. I think that's all I read, and I agree that it has a Peter Parker vibe. Uh, it's yes, different, it, but it, it's in that realm, and it's really fun in that way. And it is the most Peter Parker cast. thing. Yeah, I've read in a uh, in a long, long time. It's a really fun comic, and I do think it stumbled a little bit out of the gate common for a lot of comics actually even true for spider-man but mm-hmm. then it gets it gets finds itself pretty rapidly and it's a really enjoyable read yeah i also i think the origin is a little overly messy i think it gets really good and then i think it gets even better uh i think it gets better and better and better uh and i was really sad when the original writer left the book because i think it i don't know it hurt it hurt it for me i have not been reading it since so that's a quick take but i bet you we go more into it around the time the show comes out uh, let's do a couple more and then we'll, oh, here's a good one. This is from Darcy. Uh, enjoying the latest episode covering Daredevil. When you talked about the lack of a kid-friendly Daredevil title or cartoon, I was commenting how I wish there was like a Daredevil ages Daredevil for my, for my son. Yeah. Who likes uh, Daredevil? For Daredevil. Yeah. Uh, I had to go find this DVD collecting select episodes of the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. A great intro to the character storyline gives snippets of Daredevil's origin while working through a traditional superhero team-up. It's one DVD I've kept over the years because it fills the void when I wanted to introduce the character to anyone too young for the mature stories the character's known for. That one nice thing about that series that I didn't watch is they did introduce a ton of people to a ton of Marvel characters. Yeah. Uh, And Daredevil, of course, is a great fit as like a crossover with Spider-Man for a few episodes. Yeah. But I did not watch them. We're dumb. Good point, though. Good point. Thank you, Darcy. Um, oh, we got to talk about this one and then we'll, we'll, we'll call it. Uh, where is this? Here we go. Have we talked about this well? No. Um, this is, uh, <laughs> I didn't even say what it was, <laughs> the Spider-Man crossover with Born Again? Yes, you mentioned it, but uh, uh, I don't know much about it. So Ed here um, gives a little recap of that story. So it is a half issue. It's like the the first half of a, a of an amazing Spider-Man comic or a Peter Parker comic. I don't even remember which one. I think amazing Spider-Man, but it was like a 12 page story that was a born again tie-in during born again. Uh, I went and read it on Marvel unlimited. Here's my hot take. It's bad. Okay. 
Yeah, that Born Again is not like set up to have good crossovers with it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Ed Emerling writes, do, 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 do. Um, I had not read Born Again, but I'm reading through it for the first time. I knew about Daredevil's problems because of a random issue of Amazing Spider-Man. You have not mentioned it yet, but Matt Murdock calls Peter Parker and asks him to come visit. When he shows up, Matt Murdock tells Peter to stay away from Kingpin and be careful. Kingpin may know his secret identity. Peter responds that neither Felicia Hardy or Mary J. Watson are junkies, so it'll probably be okay. <laughs> Parentheses, I made that part up. Okay. <laughs> you had well going. I believed it. Once he leaves Matt Murdock, he comments something like, gosh, he's having a tough time. It completely ignores his request. He goes to visit the Kingpin immediately, and after a lot of dialogue, Spider-Man leaves. The final panel is Kingpin sitting in a chair that Spider-Man is coated in webbing like he used to do to JJJ. Kingpin <laughs> promising to kill anyone that walks in to see him in this predicament. I would think at this point in history, a criminal mastermind would check his chair before sitting down, but the callback <laughs> webbed to the seat gag is always great. Um, and yeah, that is basically the story. And it is dumb. It feels... It's such a different tone, just even from hearing the summary. And it also feels like, oh, Daredevil's in a real bad place. I'm going to go web Kingpin's pants. Yeah. Well, fixed his problem. It also kind of shows how Born Again was so much cooler than like the comics at that time. Like, yeah, not that not that a crossover is a fair representation of the quality of a comic, but that's the the current Spider-Man's team take on Born Again. Like Spidey will like do some hijinks. It's also just like, how could Spider-Man know about that and not get more involved? Uh, What issue was it? uh, I don't know the number, but you could Google Amazing Spider-Man crossover Born Again and you'll find it. That's how I found it. Okay. Uh, in fact, maybe if you even on, on uh, Marvel Unlimited search Born Again, it might come up. Okay. He goes on to talk about how he really likes Year One and his original run in Daredevil Sin City, but The Dark Knight Returns is impossible for me to get through. Okay. Uh, the, for a couple of factors. I came to it much later. I read it around 10 years ago when the last Nolan movie came out. I think there is some factor of what you experience in the age from 13 to 16. We just talked about this. Well... Yeah. Uh, generates a stronger relationship with the story, song, or movie than it does later. Part of the story is tied with what you were doing, who your friends were, et cetera, and your memories. Uh, secondly, I find Dark Knight Returns torturously long. The pages are dense. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I was in the middle of an issue and had to tap out for the night because I turned the page and saw those new TV newscasters and yeah. all the text. Uh, finally, the story gets hard to get my head around. And also by the end, I did not care. I only made it to the end once. Born Again, I'm enjoying a lot. For many of the same reasons, or I guess opposite reasons. I, well, I did not read this run. I was reading some Daredevil around that time and always liked the character. The issues are not overly dense, right? Uh, the normal 21 to 23 pages. And while some pages are dialogue heavy, no single issue is a long read, less than 20 minutes. Thanks for taking time to read. Looking forward to reading along with Born Again and you guys. My favorite bit is when you start your review of an iconic issue by saying, it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, thank you, Ed. I mean, those are all fair points. Uh, I still think Dark Knight Returns is amazing and everyone should love it. At the same time, I acknowledge that everyone is right who says like it's sometimes hard to get into. Yeah, or no fun or something like I totally get it. I mean, it, we, we read it at the right age. It's in our bone marrow of comic yeah. book taste. We cannot see it with fresh eyes, truly. Still think any super comics nerd will find it at least interesting and rewarding that this huge marquee title did something so radical. Anyway, uh the, those are great emails. We will get through more next time, I promise. Yeah, the trivia slowed us down, Keith. Yeah, Not Keith. our fault. Thanks for giving uh, us something fun to do that we insisted on doing. 
<laughs> yeah, thank you for doing it and making us like it and, and doing it again. And we liked it just as much the second time, you <laughs> jerk. <laughs> uh, yeah, but keep emailing us at screwitcomics at gmail.com. Um, uh, are we doing another one of these one more before we go into the new season? Yep. Okay. At least one more of these. We got to uh, catch up on mail. So we got to do. I mean, we got a ton of mail. We'll never do yeah. that. But um, we'll do a, at least a few more mutants and mailbags before we start our new season, which is still as of yet undecided. Undecided. But we're going to decide it soon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week for more X Men. Bye bye. Bye. Comics. Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer... Riley Bray. We make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with drills for hands or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, happens all the time, then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot Collectors Club, you're You're here here to to believe believe us. Wait, is that how it goes? Campfire.